Hey, quick note before we get started in this episode, because it's slightly different. We're introducing a new series of quick-fire interviews. We know not everyone can spend the time on our long-form interviews going well over an hour, so we're going to add some shorter segments with our quick-fire format. This is where we ask each guest the same kind of questions, broken into two sections. First, their thoughts on major areas of the sport of squash, and then two other areas that we learn more about their life. I love this section because I never know what people are going to say, and I've learned so much about the guests and new ways to try and do things. So we're going to try and do more interviews based on this shorter format because we're always up for experiments and trying new things. We're already full steam ahead on prepping for 2021 and looking to do even more. Thank you for all your support we've been getting, and your emails mean the world to me and the rest of the team. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word about our sponsor. So, Lee, we want to thank you for being our first sponsor on Squash Radio. And just want to say, you've sponsored other avenues, but Squash is always where your heart's at. What does it mean to you to be sponsoring Squash? I think there's just a, a lot of interesting people in the sports. I've attended junior tournaments, I've been to professional tournaments, and you can always get into some engaging conversations. And I think Squash Radio is an avenue of bringing those people to the forefront. And I'm sure a lot of people would like to listen to them. And sponsoring this, we're just uh, facilitating that. I think you nailed it. Is there anything else you, you might want to add? But I think you, you nailed it. That is, <laughs> that's exactly what I think. Because <laughs> I'm in like with hope. I've met Hope so many times and they've got into a little bit of conversation, but listening to that conversation you had with her, just, she's just a squash through and through person. And I don't know how many listeners you get, but it doesn't matter. It's the fact that people can now relate to Hope as this person. Hopefully they're going to do that with me. I'm sure, because I'm quite a private person, I'm not, I've never been a person who hung around the squash circle of people, but when I do, I've got some very good friends and they will probably know me, but there's a lot of people who saw me at junior tournaments and a lot of my juniors were top players in the country. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a great way of bringing some of the personalities from squash. That was Lee Witham, who is the CEO of Pro Sports LED, the sponsor of this podcast. You probably don't even think about lighting and neither did we until we started talking to Lee. And now we totally get the problem that Pro Sport LED is fixing. And we know maybe that's not you now or maybe not you ever. But if you know anyone who might be interested or need to improve their lighting for squash, tennis, soccer, you name it, it would mean a lot to us and our sponsor if you'd put us in touch. You can go to squashradio.com LED or email squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thank you again, and back to our show. What about this? This call is being recorded. Well, we're going to transition a little bit into the quick fire section. Okay, and cool. uh, what I liked was there was a guest recently who uh, sort of brought out like, hey, in the quick fire, could I talk about squash a little bit? And I thought that that was, hey, for a squash podcast, yeah, Barbie, I should have had a <laughs> So thank you. And that was uh, Lee with him, also our sponsor of Pro Sport LED. So quick shout out. So two sections here. One is the standard kind of uh, questions I ask all the guests, but we're going to go through the squash portion of this where I give you a topic mm-hmm. and I get 90 seconds on the clock, so to speak. And it's going to be uh, major areas of the sport. And I'd love for you to just say in either order, 
what yep. you want to see improved about that okay. area, and also what you really love. Okay. So this is we're challenging the full coach in you here, Jesse. Jeez. <laughs> so what I All love right. and what what I want to see improve. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. So the first topic is professional squash. What I would like to see improve, maybe a super obvious one, more more eyeballs, more eyeballs on the game. What I love, I love the openness of the game at the moment. I love the the characters. I love I love what's being put onto TV. So it's both. It's kind of the same answer, I suppose, but more eyeballs and more people that don't play squash accessing the game. Well said. Didn't even need the full ninety seconds. He was already coming oh, back. Sorry, I, thought, I, thought there was like question. Sorry. <laughs> I do, but I'm just saying. Oh, you okay. have- Oh, sorry. So I, I thought there was multiple questions within the 90 seconds. Okay, I'll expand more on the next one. Yeah, no, but I, what I liked about this is like, you know, when you're playing a match and then yeah. the person either doesn't leave the court or comes on really quickly, like that's an intimidation factor. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, so this is actually, this will be interesting because I don't know how familiar you are with it, but here in the United States, college squash is just a huge part of our uh, culture and experience within the game. And we've been fortunate enough that so many people from around the world, men and women, have come to spend their college years here in the in the U.S. So mm-hmm. the topic is college squash, and okay. even if you're not familiar, I'd love your perspective because that's a whole perspective that is interesting. So please go. I've had maybe a slight touch on this. Um, a few of my fellow Zimbabweans, Simba Muwati, Sean Johnson, Kim Palterman, um, Pamela Saunders, people I grew up playing squash with went through the college system there. I'm um, Sean Wilkinson, Ian Robinson, Siobhan Knight. I, I'm probably forgetting someone, so if I, I apologize. So I've heard it secondhand experience from them. Uh, love Paul Asianti's book, Run to the Raw. So I've had a touch point there. Uh, again, lucky enough, I've mentioned that I'm, I'm started to work with Vassar College. I know they're not necessarily Ivy League, but they are experienced in the college squash system. So, geez, what I love, it sound, again, I haven't been there myself, but it sounds like the match days are phenomenal. The whole atmosphere, the spirit, everything on the match days does sound crazy. And, and my mates reporting back to me, it just sounds phenomenal. There's a tournament in South Africa called the Jarvis Cup, which has been running for, I think, 75 years. And it's one of the most famous one-week-long tournaments, teams. It's one of the most intense things, and people love it for the atmosphere. So it sounds like it's a very similar link. There's an atmosphere to match days. What I would like to see improve, again, maybe obviously not fully aware of it, but it's an interesting concept about not being able to train outside of the season or not being able to have that idea or, you know, training or, or touch points with a coach. I don't know if I'm wrong there, but there certain leagues have different rules, but yeah, there's an element that you're coached there, but then that's also like, you can always find another coach. It just, it yes. just can't college coach, right? okay interesting so that's where again some discussions with some of the colleges in america and and the squash mind and going oh is this touching on that that thing so again look it's big rules from you know big important people and they've had it for years i'm not trying to change the rules but yeah it, just on my own personal little island here it does seem like oh it'd be quite nice to access training of the mind outside of the season as well so yeah that would be my two things and again conscious i've never played college squash but uh, like an awareness of it from mates and just one quick point on that i I remember when i first moved to the uk decided to go the pro tour because i was at a crossroads between harvard and pro so you know uh, satin de bajwa who was the coach there at the time he was really keen to get me across saw me at the british junior open but i was like you know what i'm keen on the i love the pro side i want to i want to do it but in my first couple of years i you know zero money earning zero money from it and i was busy waking up 
a couple hours before training, sweeping the floor in a supermarket to earn a bit of extra money. I would train for the whole day and then I'd have a bar job in the evening and lock up at 11 o'clock for a year and a half. My mates over there, Simba and all of them were, were partying in, in, in fraternity houses and loving life. And I was there slaving away. So that was, that was put in my experience between like 19 and 21 that they were having a grand old time and I was busy <laughs> slaving with it. So yeah, that's my little story on college squash. Got it. Junior squash. And I know you, you also might not be as familiar with sort of the culture in, in, the, in the U.S. here. So you can speak way more to what you do know and what your observations are in junior squash in England. Yeah. So what I would like to improve, I'll start with that one. We've touched on it in this podcast, this over competitiveness. I, I'm a very competitive guy and the players I work with are very competitive. But I'm so concerned that there's a lot of youths are missing out their childhood and the enjoyment of so many different things because they're being pushed so hard in one direction and whether that's because they want to go to college when they go to pro and linked to that there's such a lack of thought that we can borrow from other sports there's like right you're a squash player so you're learning how to play squash I grew up in Africa, man, I was playing cricket, rugby, hockey, golf, tennis, swimming, athletics, and then I'd play squash. It was it was like I was borrowing from all these other sports and actually using the strength of other sports. So it's twofold or twofold answer that I would love to see the competitiveness still stay there. I completely get that. But if it's not right for that kid and it's been they're being pushed between the ages of 12 and 16, by 17, they're not going to play squash ever again. They're going to, I'm done. I hate this game. So that, and, and then borrowing from other sports. So that's what I'd like to see improve. And again, what I love about it, just on my own personal coaching level, is the opportunities it opens up for juniors. The way I've had 13-year-olds join our adult club nights and the way they communicate with others, the way they become, I almost see them growing into proper men and women and and just their, their their social skills their interaction skills the ability for a 13 year old to be on court with a 60 year old and tell the 60 year old hey we're doing drop and drive and we're doing this drill i'm really proud when i get my juniors involved in club night and listen if that 13 year old goes on and plays tournaments and becomes a british junior champion that's a little bonus on the side for me it's it, there's actually the life skills and really showing juniors and using squash as a platform or a vehicle for improving those life skills. And again, I, I feel really lucky that some parents have turned around to me and gone, hey, listen, my child has just blossomed because of squash as, as that vehicle for that. So that's what I really love about the junior squash. Maybe some coaches that are more on the competitive side might completely disagree with that, but that's definitely my philosophy where I go with it. Yeah. So uh, the last question in this section, and I'm gonna kind of anchor it a little bit, especially given your level of expertise. So it's on uh, growing the sport. And so what I'd love to do is, uh, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So one area to improve and one area you love. How, mm. So how do you love growing the sport and how are you looking to improve? And I'm talking about more people on court is actually how we grow the sport mm. and or fans. But I think we get fans and that's probably. Yeah. You know. you know what, in, your, in the pre-interview, I love what you're saying about what you do for that game. Oh, the pro shootout, the pro shootout. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So it might be a similar answer for both, but let me start with this idea of growing the game. I alluded to it earlier. I believe a lot of it's going to come from influential coaches, from coaches who can influence juniors, adults, show them and show them the curiosity, the love for the game. The, the idea where, you know what, I'm only one person, but if I influence a group of 10 people could five of those 10 people influence another group of 
five to 10 people. And, and you get that exponential growth. We've got a big philosophy where we try and get our juniors to buddy up or bring a buddy type situation. And as soon as they do that, you know, it's, it's not new knowledge that, but that that is a really powerful vehicle as well, powerful tool. So for me to keep growing the game, I think it's the right coaches, the right people, the right influencers in the right places and really empowering those, you know, making those people, giving them like a career path in a way. I think a lot of times the younger coaches, they don't, they don't get given maybe the right amount of income or the, or the right support or the right um, kudos to be able to grow it. So I think influential coaches is going to be a huge, huge part of it. And then secondly, yes, for the idea of crowds and using squash in the, in the entertainment sport, I'll, I'll speak to the pre-interview, but I'll, I'll repeat it here a little bit. Eddie Hearn, the boxing promoter, snooker promoter, darts promoter, and he's actually taking on table tennis in the new year and he's promoting table tennis and I bet all table tennis players and, and athletes are over the moon. He's doing it. But what I do is I do a pro shootout. And, and again, it's trying to do this whole idea of using 2020 cricket. It's the fast version of cricket in the, in the UK. It's 20 overs each and it's just pure entertainment. So when I do a pro shootout, we change the scoring system. We have crowd referees. We have something called power plays where for two minutes, one player can score double points and another player can score no points. They can serve into the nick. They get five serves per game where they can just go for a cross-court nick. Like, so bring you a bit of tennis and going for like, right, you get a big booming serve. You get a serve expert. And, you know, in two hours, we've had probably 16 or 18 matches in two hours, really short, quick matches, loads of different players, loads of different styles. There is a section in there that they all perform a trick shot and the, the highest voted trick shot gets five bonus points. So yeah. for me, that's that's a really interesting way to try and promote the game. Okay, I'm conscious we might lose the purity of the game, but I don't think we can be as fussy as we have been in the past, personally. We, we might need to have a different version of our game if we to want to get it on etc yeah like look if we're an ice cream shop and we're just serving vanilla and chocolate then <laughs> why would we expect that ice cream shop to grow right that's a that's a perfect description of it i love that different flavors and everyone yeah. can enjoy it look i'm focused on the court mm-hmm. get more on court i think what england is doing a good job of and i don't know exactly but it's like you know with squash 57 like hey mm-hmm. activity on this is what we care about let's get people nice. out nice so the two ways i would quickly because I loved your enthusiasm there, but I also want to give my two quick ones because it's similar to you of, I would say, if we truly care about growing the sport, each squash player's goal is bring five people on a court during that year. Nice. Five new players. That's it. Then the other part is for coaching because I just, and you probably are, you know, they're such community leaders, but I I just want to make sure that this doesn't mean you have to be on court with each of these players. It's creating the environment and the experiences for others to enjoy. Massively, yeah. You getting on court one-on-one and sharing your craft, that needs to be secondary to the experiences and the environment you're creating. Massively. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I use that word environment a lot. There's a couple of really good books. It's called The Barcelona Way. Um, it's all about Barcelona Football Club and the culture they've created. And I've tried to use models of that in, in my squad club. And a second book called Legacy, which is all about the, the New Zealand All Blacks, their culture. They've got so many interesting concepts about sweeping the sheds is one of their big ones where they've got Dan Carter, one of the greatest rugby players of all time, after training, him and all his mates would sweep the sheds. They would not employ cleaners 
and they would actually all physically sweep the sheds, keeping people grounded. It is one of the most inspiring books about environment and culture and no one's bigger than the game. And when you receive the, the All Blacks jersey, you've not arrived. You need to make that jersey and you need to take it to a next level. This is the beginning. It's not, it's not the end because you've made the Kiwis, uh, made the All Black team. So yeah, again, I, I, you've hit the nail on the head. Sorry. It's, it's true for the Navy SEALs. I know we hear a lot about their training, but they're like, buds is a, is a weeding out process. So like yeah, that, exactly. that, that's like, then you, you learn how to become a SEAL. So yeah. So no, yeah, you like, I think environment and culture is huge. Like you said, like what that, can that coach be a massive influencer or create that environment where people want to come to the facility and play and get on court. So yeah, no, massively supportive of that. So the next portion of this, um, the quick fire is, uh, and I'm going to only I'm mindful of our time. So I'm just going to cherry pick a few, uh, quick one, uh, favorite documentary. Oh, uh, it, it's always changing. <laughs> the, right at the moment, The Social Dilemma on Netflix. You know, again, I think a lot of us have seen it. Again, and I've read a few interesting articles from it. Again, it's just, it's that screen time. It's that every one of these big companies is, is seeking our attention and, and how we can, it links to a squash mind and in mindfulness and going, how can we calm and slow down? So yeah, that would be my one at the moment. Well, and I think, again, it sounds like we're similar that we learn things in different areas and then I kind of piece it together. But what this also highlights for me and what's going on worldwide. But again, I'm, I'm more concentrating in the U.S. just because this is where, where I am and I'm, I'm more keep up the things here. But I think we're seeing an erosion of shared truth. Mm, yeah, and very true. What, what the social dilemma really shows is like the power that these algorithms and these platforms are really influencing us the way we, sh- we think and experience life. And yeah. I think it's at the cost of lots of things, but also the bigger thing is if we... We see separate industries that created uh, climate change issues. Mm-hmm. This, to me, like a, towards a bigger picture, yeah. uh, erosion of trees. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, so no, I agree. Love it. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting one, and I'm I'm going to slightly make this a two parter because okay. you point out and highlight and demonstrate something that so many people that I've met from Zimbabwe are just some of the most positive people I've ever met. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Just say that and maybe, you know, because it's it's how many have yeah. I met then less than 20. So not a huge sample set, I, I acknowledge, but I've met a lot of squash players and you guys are disproportionately always happy. Nice. So the question here is, and it could be something or an activity that brings you disproportionate happiness with the caveat that it can't, you know, we all know family and friends and dogs and pets really brings yeah. happiness. Mm-hmm. What is something? Yeah, I theorize about why we're so happy and positive. She's maybe the sunshine. We were, we were bloody lucky with the sunshine. I think, honestly, the, the, you talked about culture and environment. Wow, I think we were blessed on what we could do, the sport we could play, the freedom we had, the way we could express ourselves, the schooling system. And look, and this was at a time when, I don't want to get too political here, but Robert Mugabe was doing his stuff as well. And, you know, it wasn't the best environment, but man, we were so lucky to what we had. So I think part of it, we were, almost like given happiness in a way. I know that's a weird way to put it, but I think in reflection, because we also had it taken away and a lot of us had to move, we were so grateful for what we had. And I think we keep trying to cultivate that. So in regard to your second part, again, I hope this doesn't sound too cheesy or cliche, but it genuinely is. It's, I get so much joy when I help someone, when I talk to them about a certain concept or whether it's a coaching thing, whether it's a technical thing or whether it's something that's a bit more bigger in life. It's that I had a a great chat with one of my juniors, 40 minute chat. He's right at that crossroads of his life, you know, 17 and a half. You know, he was actually talking about 
it was quite a deep conversation talking about, you know, experimenting with drugs and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, this is getting quite, quite heavy. But I just felt we, again, we didn't hit a ball. And I just spoke to him and I just was really open and honest and just said, you know, this and that and, and this part of life. And this is where I get motivation and joy and, and that. And he came away from that. And, you know, we've spoken probably every couple of days, sending each other TED Talks or going, hey, look at this mindfulness thing. Or, hey, have you seen this documentary of this? And I'd never got through to someone as much as him, like in my whole coaching career. And it's just such an interesting conversation. And I got, again, I got a genuine amount of joy from it. So for me, I'd get that, that, that real joy and, and that positivity going, hey, I've had a chat with someone. I've given them my point of view or things I've learned along the way. And they've been massively influenced by it. So yeah, I think I think that would be one of my things. You know, I don't think if if I was asked this question, I don't think I would have been able to come up with this somewhat similar theory. But you definitely like I love sparking things in others, right? Mm. And so that's there we go. That's it. Curiosity, passion, mm-hmm. enjoyment. It's like I'm always trying to create sparks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so TED Talks. Right. I'm going to give you the scenario here: is you're going to give a TED Talk. However, it can't be for anything that you're known for. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here, the scenario could be is either uh, you have something that you love that you just n- not many people know about you, or what would you be curious about go exploring and then have to give a TED talk about? Mm, great question. I would say, <laughs> again, maybe it's because I'm, I don't know if I am known about it, but my first instinct is, is to do with do with Rhodesian Zimbabweans like the almost like what Mugabe has done to a whole generation a whole nation of people to actually investigate the stories around both the positive and the negative so I know it sounds really weird but actually what happened to all of us in Zimbabwe at the time was terrible and our farms got taken and and you know we my my, my folks had to flee to South Africa but what positives did that also influence? What sparks did it create? It, it, you know, I was in the UK at the time and, and how has that influenced me as well? So yeah, again, yes, I'm known because I'm from that country, but I actually think that there's a whole interesting story or collecting stories from the diaspora, the people who have, who have been forced to move away. And again, maybe thinking slightly deeper, this might even be more so a worldwide thing. I know I'm just maybe looking at the lens of, of say Zimbabwe, but maybe a worldwide thing like the people who have been successful and influence other people in a positive way because of the negative situation they've been in. That for me would be a really interesting topic piece. It's like how conflict can shape your impact in the world. I know it's quite a big, heavy topic, but yeah, I think for me, that's a really really interesting discussion with people. Yeah. I would say, you know, through adversity comes greatness can be achieved. I think there is an element of grit, you know, I'm Irish. The famine was terrible for us and a huge cause a huge migration. It's also then, a lot of that yeah. sparked a lot of ingenuity and a lot of more uh, prosperous uh, elsewhere. So, yeah, because again, on, on a very, very similar thing, I think I can't remember. I think it was Ryan Holiday. He's big into his Stoics, and he talked about which people during crises over the course of history have become successful. So you, you're talking like Disney formed in the Great Depression, Walt Disney, and did all. You got FedEx forming in the 70s when something else happened, and he just listed all these famous people slash companies that got formed during adversity. And I really like that idea. I think, I think there's, and again, I know this is on a very much smaller scale, but that's exactly what happened with squash mind is going, Hey, there's adversity. I'm- yeah. You're taking it, making it personal and passing it out. Yeah. So the last question I'm going to ask is, and it's set from the sounds of it. You must read a lot of books in a year. 
So what would be a book you would recommend and why? Or what's the book that you give out the most? Yeah, geez, it depends on the mood I'm in. I, I go from books ranging from it's something called the fourth industrial revolution, which is all about AI taking over to coaching books to, to books that are all about the philosophy and mindset of coaching. I would say I've already, I've already spoken about this book, but I would say legacy legacy by James Kerr. I'm going to have to say two, unfortunately, I can't pick one because then the other one is, is atomic habits by James clear that that for me has influenced so many ways, how I look at things. Um, and if I could probably give you my top 10 and, and I couldn't even narrow it down, but I, <laughs> Why don't you send us the email about that? Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll bore someone to, but actually on the app, I know this gets really nerdy, but there's a whole section on the app for talks, lectures, and books and podcasts, all stuff that I've been to. So when, if people are interested to research further, there is a signpost on the app there uh, under the setting section. But yeah, Jay, Legacy by James Clear, because it's all about the culture you try to create for yourself personally and for the people around you. And then Atomic Habits, because it's a very hands-on practical way to form you know, lifelong habits and, and just getting 1% better in a lot of different things, you know, and you, you stack that together. Uh, there's a great story about the British cycling team, Team Sky, and how they did what the whole concept of marginal gains, where they took every little thing and improved it by a tiny percentage, ranging from the nuts and bolts on the bike to employing someone who would teach the athletes how to wash their hands so they wouldn't spread germs within the training cap, you know, that range of, which is amazing. And, and, and if we can cultivate habits in our life so yeah that would be my two legacy and topic habits love it cool man well it's it's a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you and you've been already influencing so many people and so it's just exciting to see if you're here now where are you going to be in five and ten years and uh can't wait to see that success coming so no, thanks, thanks and again, it's, it's been you know it's just great to to find a like almost a like-minded person you just spark things off with and yeah again for, for what you're doing squash radio and and how you're getting the the message out there and it sounds like you've got some exciting projects coming up you know i think i'm definitely feeling confident that, that we're going to have some more offline chats and 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 bouncing some ideas off each other in the future and yeah maybe we'll, we'll pull the resources and, and and get squash on that map a little bit more but no thank you for the platform to talk on and and yeah anyone who's keen to to touch base you know where to find me squash minders where you can go and check it out yeah great stuff thanks guys that wraps our quick fire breakout segment if you want to hear full-length episodes you can go to squash radio using your preferred podcast listening method we love hearing from you what you like what you don't like suggestions on what you might want to hear on this channel or recommend a story or a person to be interviewed you can reach out on any of the social media platforms or email us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks again, and until next time.